Welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provides you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. Today, former professional rugby league athlete turned professional SNC coach Andrew Hefner joins me on the podcast. Andrew played for the Canberra Raiders in the under twenties competition and Auckland Nines. He went on to sign with the Penrith Panthers, where he played in the New South Wales Cup. Andrew left Penrith to go overseas and play in the Super League in the United Kingdom for the Hull Kingston Rovers. Andrew was now a Level 3 Elite SNC coach working full-time at the AS, working in the basketball program, while also working with other athletes and sports as well. On this episode, Andrew shares his rugby league journey and how he got to the professional level, which he goes into great depth about, which is great. Andrew talks about one of the hardest decisions he had to make, retiring from rugby league due to multiple concussions. We discuss all things SNC. Andrew talks about how during his playing years he was also learning how to become an SNC coach, which led to him coaching junior level athletes while playing professional rugby league. And Andrew also answers the Triple H to a hardship, hero, and highlight of his rugby league career and coaching career as well. I really appreciate Andrew taking time out to speak with me today. This was a fantastic episode, and I know you'll get a lot out of it. Enjoy! So, g'day, Andrew. How are you? Good, mate. Going well. Going well. How about yourself? Yeah, going well, thanks. So, how's life going at the moment, and how's your coaching going? Yeah, no, life's pretty good. Um, I guess, yeah, personally, um, I'm about sort of just under two months away from um, a wedding with my fiance. Um, so that's exciting. Um, it's kind of been a bit over 18 months in the, in the works. And so a lot of that stuff happening in the background, I guess, which is great. And um, last three months, I've, I've sort of moved into a new role at the AIS, uh, working with uh, the women's COE, so within basketball after previously being involved with volleyball and, and tennis um, with their sort of Australian sort of program. So uh, all going really well. And, and for me, it's a time where I guess in that inventory stage of, of working with a new program, you're kind of just getting your head around, I guess, cultural dynamics and, and how you can value add um, to a program. Um, I think that's a, it's a big part, obviously, the delivering from an SNC point of view and coaching is, is what kind of, comes natural to us but I guess understanding the group that you're working with for me is so key so I'm really loving that at the moment getting to to work with a new group I've always enjoyed this sort of development age uh, as much as I've, I've enjoyed the, the top end and the elite end working with those development athletes who are, are on the cusp of going into their the next stage of their career being a part of I guess building those high performance habits and, and building the athlete um, before they go off and, and the focus turns to, I guess, results and performance is a really nice place to sort of sit um, and, and to hopefully sit back in, you know, a few years time and, and potentially the athletes that I've worked with, you know, over the 
the time that I'm I'm here and, and even the ones I've worked with prior in other sports to see them sort of blossom and have their own careers is is awesome and I'm starting to see the fruits of that already which is which is awesome to know that maybe I've I've played a part in in their development so yeah wow. that's great mate exciting stuff in the coaching life and then outside of coaching as well yeah that's, that's really no, cool so how do you think the the rugby league competition this year has gone look I think it's I think it's been good I I think the the fact that um you know, we, last year was a, a tough year for the players, you know, in that, I guess, the COVID challenges and, and being all shipped up up north. You know, I, I think we underestimate how, how tough that was for the players uh, and the families that, that kind of go with that. Um, and so for them to sort of get back into their own, I guess, environments and, and own training settings as we're sort of seeing the benefits of that. And I think the brand of rugby league that's been played this year even uh, the last weekend watching some of those finals games they, they were so tight and kept you on the edge of your seat and I think sometimes you know you can those bottom end teams particularly in the the bottom four of the eight you know six of it or well, five versus eight and um, six versus seven um, those games can sometimes be like you know just or not make up games but they don't have the same I guess importance as when you watch the one versus four and two versus three but they're all really cracking games. And I think that any team who's in there at the moment does have some sort of shot. I probably haven't been able to say that for, for some time, uh, which is which is really cool. So um, it, it's awesome to see. Obviously, the Raiders are still in and I've got some connections still there. So it's, it's great to see their back end of the season and how they're going. So, um, yeah, it's a, and it's an exciting time. And I think this time of year, even you know, local finals of all sports is, is really cool. You know, people are the best time of the year really you know mm. like um so i'm i'm enjoying seeing the results that are happening uh, right across the board that's good mate do you follow any team as your team now being a coach is there a team that you like the most uh no i don't have a team per se like i i tend to watch um people i've you know either played with or, or had some sort of connection with it as a mate or whatnot um i probably would be lying if i don't have some soft spot for penrith and canberra having spent some time there and um yeah i don't have a, a team per se but um you know i want to see those teams do well and i know when penrith won the comp last year you know I, that was something that i'd seen in their culture even when i went to the club um in the past like seeing how they operate not only on a player's point of view but how their whole organization runs from from top to bottom is second to none um you know not to say that Canberra wasn't like that but I, I just remember the the development that they had and, and even going down to their junior reps training and stuff like just the systems they had in in place you could see that they were going to be successful and this again much like I talk about the development of my athletes I think that they're now seeing the fruits of you know the processes and systems they put in place um all those years ago and uh it's a again for them i think they'll be successful for a really long time mm, no 100 i do go for Parramatta, so um hopefully the <laughs> Parramatta can get up against the raiders this weekend yeah so, that'll yeah. be it'll be interesting it will be interesting um i think it, you know canberra don't have a whole lot to lose and Parramatta have probably got the, mm. the pressure on them in that sense they've got to slick you know players across the park but um, yeah, I, I probably didn't expect the turnout they had last week against. I thought they'd probably put a better showing up against Penrith, um, given they've had the wood over them for, throughout the year. But that is the class of, of Penrith. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Mm. 
no, it's going to be a great weekend of rugby league. So growing up as a young lad, how did you end up playing rugby league? Yeah, probably an interesting one for me. I I started out um, playing soccer uh, originally. And I think at the time, it, it probably, you know, I was probably like six years old and my parents sort of just threw me into um, soccer because potentially it was what, you know, at the time, I think a couple of the people who lived in my street were playing, you know, who were around the same age and went to school. But um, the I guess I only had one or two years in soccer. I remember the second year out of potentially 10 boys in my, my year level at school, only two of us played soccer. And at lunchtime, we weren't allowed to play. They made up this rule that we weren't allowed to play touch or tackle with them because we didn't play on the weekend. <laughs> so essentially, I almost got bullied into playing rugby league there for a little bit. They were, you know, no, nah, you can't play with us. And so me and this other boy, we'd go off and, and just kick the soccer ball or pass the footy ourselves because we wanted to play. Uh, so, yeah, I went home and I remember telling mum after a bit that, no, I need to play league because otherwise I can't play at lunchtime with the boys. So I think it started about seven. Um, and because I was younger for my year at school, I wanted to play with those who were in my year level at school. So I played a year up basically till I was about 12, I think, um, which probably held me in good stead to, you know, play against a, a little bit higher level. Um, but I think playing in sort of country footy, I was always playing both grades. I eventually started playing my own age and potentially the two ages above just because we were short players. And I loved it, you know, being able to play, you know, you get three games across a, a weekend mm. instead of just the one. So, um, yeah, I guess, and I just slowly, I, you know, fell in love with it um, just because of obviously the mateship and um, back then probably, you know, the defence side of it was really good, you know. Um, I wasn't like, didn't grow up to be a, you know, a strike defender by any stretch, but I did still like that side of it. Um, and yeah, just, you know, I, as a young kid, I did cross country and athletics and stuff. So just trying to use speed and stuff like that was, um, you know, something I tried to build into my game. Mm, that's awesome. I think it's, it's kind of funny that the rules that you make up as a young kid back at primary oh, right. school, when you think back, you're just Classic. like, what, what, what were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think like, you know, we used to have these um, bindies down on this bottom oval. I remember, you know, we'd, we'd try and play tackle and we were tackling into the bindies and it was mm. awful. And we'd wait until the teacher turned around and then it'd turn into touch. And then all of a sudden, as soon yep. as the teacher turned around, back into tackle. But um, I think all that skills that you learn then, like that's where it starts, you know, like in terms of how you develop your skills and um yeah it's awesome, it's mm. awesome. I, th I think the best was when state of origin came around you like I, I remember back at school we used to split into new south wales versus queensland and um yeah yeah just adding those into the mix was was really good fun yeah nah it's awesome i i remember like uh talking about this with my partner that like i used to one well, state of origin night i don't even know if i had a, a jersey per se like a blues jersey but i used to put on like a um blue shirt or whatever and I, they used to do where you, um, they, those intros where they turn up and you, you cross <laughs> your arms and, and call out your um, junior club. I remember always doing that, just sort of envisioning potentially getting to that moment. So um, funny stuff. Funny no, that's stuff. awesome. So you had quite the journey over your rugby league career. You were 
like, like we said, both in the system of the Canberra Raiders and also in the Penrith Panthers, you were able to play in the under-20s comp and the Auckland Nines for the Raiders and then go up to the Penrith Panthers playing in the New South Wales Cup. Can you share a bit more light on those experiences being involved with both systems? Yeah, I guess I, I started out um, and sort of went through the rep sort of system as a, as a junior and was playing league and union um, up until about 13. Um, and then sort of just made the decision that I couldn't do both um, just purely on the, the fact that, you know, the time commitment of both and we were traveling to Canberra, uh, both for the Brumbies juniors at the time and the Raiders. And um, for me, the pathway in league just looked a little bit clearer uh, at the time. Uh, and I sort of just decided to go down that path. Um, and then I, at the age of sort of 14, I first got picked up um, with a manager and Raiders showed some interest in sort of a development contract. And I took that up. Uh, and spent a few years there and I think it's I sort of think about this the other day and in talking with someone I think at that point it was it still seemed really far-fetched the opportunity to be a professional player uh, at that point even though I'd, I'd signed with the Raiders and it was exciting and it was something that was you know very cool to everyone around me that that had happened I still probably didn't think it was a reality um, until I re-signed probably two years later and my pathway through the professional rugby league was sort of mapped out a little bit clearer. Um, and I, I then end up moving over uh, at 17 once I finished school and played through um, the under 20 system and, and came into a under 20s team uh, after just having shoulder surgery. I sort of had 15 weeks out. I came back in sort of almost the minimum time after a Rico um, and I came into a team that was absolutely flying, um, which really helped me. I just sort of slotted into the team and just played my role and, and had a really good back end of the year and was promoted into the NRL squad um, off the back of that and just trained across the summer. So in the space of, I guess, almost six to eight months, I'd gone from being an SG ball potential player who just had surgery was worried about whether he was going to be able to make it at all into now I was doing an NRL preseason. Um, so that was a really quick transition. And that's where I got that opportunity to, to play in that first sort of Auckland nines um, there. So uh, I guess over the next couple of years, I, I was kind of hampered by a few injuries, um, hamstrings and, and shoulder sort of namely. So I had two shoulder recos in that sort of three years. But the times that I did get on the field, I probably showed some glimpses of what I had in terms of potential. Um, I wasn't the finished product by any means, but I, off the back of that, Canberra kind of came to me and said, look, unfortunately, we can see some potential and you're, you're working really hard, but we're just not getting the time out of you on the field that we need. Um, and if you get an opportunity elsewhere, take it up. And uh, I got, remember getting an email from my manager that, that Penrith are interested and Phil Gould wanted to meet with me. I did not sleep a wink of sleep that night um, because it was really tough. I think I, I really was doubting whether I was going to be able to have a career. The injuries that I'd had, um, you know, two shoulder recos, I was still, I put on a fair bit of size in that period just to sort of meet the demands of, of trying to play against men. I played in a few NRL trials and uh, I guess I was on the cusp there, but I still wasn't sure whether I was going to have it, what it took. Um, but yeah, met with him and, I remember sitting down with him and 
um, one of their recruitment guys there. And one of the biggest things he said to me that stuck with me the whole time is um, recruitment manager asked me, what are your weaknesses? What are some of the things you're going to, you need to work on if you're going to come to our club? And so I rattled off a few things, you know, I think at the time, you know, I was, a, I loved to attack, but I probably need to have a bit more of a defensive mindset as well. And, and to play at the next level, I knew that I needed to be able to make my tackles and, and fall part of a system. And I said, I probably need to continue to put on a little bit more size to play week in, week out NRL if I'm going to get there. And then they turned to Phil and said, oh, what do you see in Andrew that his weaknesses are based on what you've seen? Because he'd watched me throughout those few years. And he said, I don't care about his weaknesses. He said, I only care about his strengths. I want to know what he can bring to my club, which was a really interesting way to look at it. I know that a lot of people ask, like, what are the weaknesses and what do you got to work on? Mm. And all he wanted to know was, what strengths are you going to bring to my team? We can work on your weaknesses. That's areas that we can control and, and build in. But what are you going to add to our football team? Uh, which I thought was a really interesting way to, to look at things. And obviously, he, his stature within the game is, is so great. And, and maybe that's part of why his thinking is probably a little different to others, the way he sees things, um, which, was, which was really cool. And it, it's probably stuck with me as well as now as coming a coach is we often look to find areas that we can improve in, a, in an athlete. But how do we maximize those things that they either already have naturally or, or the areas that they've slowly developed over time. How can we build on those and make those a real asset to their performance? Um, we don't have to sort of fit into this one box of what an athlete should look like. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And again, I was hampered by a fair few injuries at Penrith. I had sort of bilateral hamstring tears, um, five or so on each, each side and, and got close to playing NRL there. Like, pretty close like I would train within the team um, a couple of times and, and sort of thought my opportunity might have been there uh, but kind of just got struck down and I don't have any regrets on that by any means but got offered the opportunity to to move on if I wanted to I had a two-year contract but got offered to move on if I found an opportunity and yeah that's kind of how I end up over in the Super League so yeah no, it's awesome, mate. And yeah, I love that point from Phil Gill, focusing on the the strengths and the the things that make that athlete special and how can that boost to my team? I think that's really cool. And yeah, you can work on the weaknesses, but um, yeah, I think for athletes and coaches, don't forget why, what, like what makes that athlete really special because that's what you're trying to develop and continue to develop. Um, and you, you, you can work on those weaknesses over the the many months and years that you're, you're with them. So yeah, I love that point. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good point because how you then how that fits in as part of that team, like what is it that what's the ingredients that mi are missing within that successful team, you know? And if that person has the skills that you don't already have, and you you're bringing in those services because as a player, I think you're you have to bring your services to the club almost and your talents to the club. So um, how that fits, you know, you may have one of the best players in the world, but if that their talents aren't what you right, need right now, then they're not going to be as valuable to you. So um, mm. I know that at the time he was looking for someone who had some, I guess, some strike, I guess, um, and, and could sort of add to the system. So it was interesting. Mm. When I think of that, it just reminds me of the, um, of the NFL. So big NFL fan, Seattle Seahawks represent. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just crazy to see how players jump from different teams to different 
practice squads and then get active, signed to the active roster. And you might not excel in one system, but you go over to the next system and you do excel and become a star player. Like I've seen that so many times. And it's just awesome to see that um, coaches find that that's that strength or that that area that makes that play special and then develops that and then see the results mm. out in the field i love that yeah really cool really really cool so after a great season with the the panthers you move over to england to play for hull kingston rovers in the super league you had quite the introduction to the super league by scoring two tries on debut and then scoring 18 tries in 24 games that's it's pretty impressive there mate so how did you find <laughs> that level of competition over there playing in the super league yeah, it was it was interesting how that all came about. I, I guess off the back of Penrith and them giving me the option, uh, went away on just a bit of a, a break postseason, and again it was a bit of a time to kind of reflect on where I was at in my career. And uh, my management was seeking out some different opportunities because it, it looked like I guess my road at Penrith was coming to a bit of an end because um, obviously they were offering opportunities um, to get out. Uh, and then yeah, after a a lot of conversations with a lot of clubs. Hulk KR kind of came in and were, were really keen. Tim Sheens came in and said, look, you know, basically I, I think you're the man for the job in terms of what I need in my, my team. Um, and I went over there and I remember arriving. I played a lot of fullback on 5'8 when I was at Penrith. And he basically said, when I got there, I just started training at fullback. And he said, oh, just so you know, you're going to be my right centre. Um, and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> You know, like, are you, are you sure pretty much? You know, like, I'm happy to do whatever you like, but I've been mm. playing fullback and I haven't played centre for a few years. That was kind of my first introduction out of 20s. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, that was an, an interesting thing for him to say. I said, why, you know, why do you see me in that position? He explained how he felt my skill set were best suited to that position. And he just had this real belief in me. Like, and it was the first time someone who was a, I guess, a first team coach, as they kind of refer to over there, that had had this real belief that I could be the, the startup centre. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of had bounced around positions throughout the juniors that probably suited the team, not me as an individual. Like I sort of fit for purpose. I moved into the halves. I probably wasn't really a half. Like I wasn't bad as a 5'8", a but again, I hadn't had any consistency because of injuries and getting into... Okay, all right. They dropped down to the league below in that first year in championship. And I had a really good run of period where I was playing games consistently. And that's, I kind of saw the benefit of that being able to play and be locked in on one position. Um, but that was a, a really cool experience to um, work under Tim and the little nuances that he had for me and how I could improve my game. And uh, I think it really fitted for me a lot of the conditioning work we did here in Australia, um, the you know, off was probably as a come someone who'd come from progressed pretty quickly, I guess, into an NRL sort of squad, um, both at Canberra and Penrith. I I probably the running volume probably really didn't work for me and my body probably as well as I wasn't able to handle it. I think that was part of the issue of why I was potentially getting some of these soft tissue injuries. Uh, I went over there and we did a lot of off-feet conditioning uh, and a lot of conditioning games um, as to sort of supplement that. So potentially not the high level of vol uh, running volume, which, which seemed to suit me a little bit better. Um, and I think it allowed me to stay on the field 
a little bit longer, I was able to become a little bit more robust and um, get a little attack some of those weaknesses in terms of my shoulder and stuff uh, to get me in a position ready to tackle Super League. And we got to the end of that year and played in what they call their qualifiers. Uh, and the qualifiers is basically like an eight game. Uh, the bot the bottom four of Super League top play the top four of championship in this eight game series, and we basically won five straight. Um, and beat the Super League teams and got ourselves promoted, which was huge. It was massive for the town, massive for the whole team because that was a vision that we had from the outset to do that. Um, so yeah, that part was probably one of the probably the best moments of my career is getting in a position where I'd gone through some of those struggles to now seeing success both for myself as an individual and and also contributing to a, a team. So um, yeah, that first year was really really cool. No, that's awesome and getting belief from your coach I don't know it just does wonders for you as an athlete and just makes you feel valued and you really want to pay back the coach with a really good performance and just showing up and, and training hard whereas if you don't get that belief from the coach it really makes it hard to I don't know be at that club and that organization and play the game that you are because you feel like you're being judged but you sort of got that yeah belief in you from the coach and he says yep go out there do what you're going to do and i believe in you it just makes things so much easier yeah definitely and look he would say things like he thought that i could be one of the top centers in the whole competition and he he thought that i could be nrl quality in the next couple of years and he would say things like you know Hef, if if i don't if you come here and have a good couple of years and an NRL team picks, picks you up and, and you go back there and play in that competition because that's a better opportunity for your career, then I'll be happy to let you go, you know? And, and for me, he was caring about the individual rather than, you know, his own needs in that sense. So for him to say things like that were, was massive. Um, and I guess, I, I, I guess I'm from that point of view, that spurred me on to really want to repay that faith that he had in me as you exactly what you're saying there. So mm. um, yeah, I think that's something potentially that again, that I've probably carried as in terms of how I potentially coaches, I guess they have an awareness of what they believe their athletes can do, but communicating that at some points, you know, I don't think that maybe we make it known how well potentially an athlete is going or how much progress they're making. Um, Again, it goes back to that whole idea that we do want to attack the weaknesses and always getting better, but a little bit of that recognition of where you are right now and where you've come from, uh, I think is I think is always important. Hundred percent. So. Mm, so, do you think the suit going over to the UK is a great way, for, like a great stepping stone for, say, Australian athletes to go over there, play, and then potentially get that opportunity coming back to the NRL? Yeah, I think so, and, and probably goes both ways, like. Um, I seeing a few more of those younger um, English-based players coming, English and France-based players coming and playing here. Um, you know, Dominic Young at the Knights and a couple of others that are, that are starting to filter in. I guess the advantage is, is that you're playing top level like rugby league every week and it becomes less about when you're playing a New South Wales Cup, it's all about feeding into the the NRL team, you know, provide, you know, when you're training each week, you're almost simulating the opposition team to make sure that the NRL team are ready each week. And New South Wales Cup is still about that development, but ultimately it's about helping the NRL team get results. I think going over there, you become the forefront of mind in terms of you are the, 
one that we want to get the results out of and you're our guy ultimately. So um, I think it is a great option. Uh, I think that it's a different game style. There's a lot, it's a lot more free flowing. Uh, there's less, potentially less wrestle in it over there, which probably suited me a little bit better. Um, that aspect of being able to play a little bit more off the cuff and play what's in front, it probably doesn't suit some players and maybe they don't go even really good NRL players that go over there who are a lot more structured, don't probably blossom quite as much. Um, I think about just in recent times, like Matt Dufty's not long gone over there from the Dragons. Mate, the Super League suits him down to a T, you know, that his speed, you know, his ability to just see moments and take them on and offloads and, and probably chance your arm a little bit more. Uh, I'd probably say second to that, you see an English player come here, he's come out of the Super League. They'll definitely play a little bit different in the way they play. Someone like John Bateman, I wasn't sure how he would go in the NRL with the Raiders, but the way he plays upsets teams because it's not that structure. Mm. He bounces around across field and he sort of gets into holes and they'll, they'll happily throw an offload because that's how they've been grown up, but that's how they play. Here, we build into this system of, you know, completions and kick and chase and build pressure. Uh, so I think a combination of that really works within a, um, a team or a system. And I think even Canberra, beating Melbourne last week that's kind of what upset Melbourne is that they do have that ability to sort of throw an offload and um, play what they see with in front so um, I think it goes both ways for me I was really lucky that my grandfather was of Maltese background uh, his parents were born in Malta so I got a Maltese passport which meant that I was only a half quota point uh, and could easily go over and play there so I guess it's lucky in a sense for me, uh, otherwise it can be a really hard sell to a club that this person's going to add value because you only have a certain amount of quota points with each Super League team. Um, but only being half a point um, because of that back, uh, Maltese background or within the European Union, uh, that certainly helped my cause. Um, I didn't have to wait on visas. You know, the moment they asked me and wanted me to come, I was on a plane within two days, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great option. It's a great option both ways. Mm, that's awesome. It's a great insight. So unfortunately, your career was cut short due to multiple concussions. When did you know you had to retire? Yeah, um, it was a, a tough moment because I, I think that it probably, for others, they probably saw it a lot earlier than I did. I was probably in a little bit of denial and probably, you know, obviously as an athlete, you don't want it to end and, things like this that are taken out of your control make it really hard um, because we're all what we, I think as an, as an athlete or anyone, you, the things that you can control, if you know that you're ticking all the boxes to get back and, and do your job or whatever you are well, then it's hard when that's not in your control. Um, I had another left shoulder um, Rico when I was over there. Um, and basically from Easter of 2017 through to Easter of 2018, I had five knockouts, like where I got completely knocked out. I probably had a bunch more, to be honest, at least another five that didn't get diagnosed that I sort of played on with. Um, and I do put that down to, I was protecting myself a little bit with the left shoulder, even though I'd done all the rehab, I had this 
natural way that I wanted to come to my right shoulder to make a, a tackle that potentially was a left shoulder tackle. So I get my head in poor positions. Um, and sometimes the concussions were with and without the ball, but I definitely think that was a contributed to it. Um, and so that awareness of, you know, you could practice 20, 30 reps, you know, during the week working on making sure you're getting that left shoulder tackle right and getting yourself in the right position and you could nail them in training. But when you come into a game and it's just live and you're just reacting and your subconscious takes over and it, it, it looks to protect that left shoulder, even after you know it is recovered, you go to a right shoulder tackle and all of a sudden you find your head in a poor position. So that kind of went through and I wasn't really feeling the, the effects until, you know, I was the days afterwards each time. But after the one that I had around the Easter weekend in 2018, it gave me a month off because I'd done a lot of testing, um, you know, ba against the baseline. And I was actually passing those tests really easy, um, almost better than the baseline scores. Uh, and it was largely due to the fact that what was being picked up in the testing was more around my cognitive function and not my vestibular function. Um, my cognitive was always really sound. Like I could always remember what had happened generally, maybe not the period there, but within a couple of days, I, I was pretty good in that sense. What really suffered was that um, vestibular system, my awareness within space. I would get very dizzy. I'd have vertigo. Uh, I struggled to drive. I struggled to look at a phone. Um, any sort of jolting of the head really troubled me. Uh, and we had a what's called magic weekend, similar to what they've now got here in the NRL, um, that was going to be played up in Newcastle in the UK. And uh, I'd had this month off and... I was going to pick up my brother and cousin from the airport at Manchester, which is about a two hour drive. And I was tipped to play that game. So the media had sort of built it up that Hef's going to be back for that game. Coaches, I'd passed all the testing that they'd asked me to do. Uh, I'd done my contact progressions, um, but I was somewhat lying in the sense that I'd done those last progressions to get back to play. And I wasn't feeling some symptoms at the time but I would feel symptoms a few hours later and into the night. So I wasn't sleeping. I was taking a hell of a lot of like paracetamol and painkillers to try and get through. And I had this inkling to try and hide it, uh, knowing that, you know, potentially I, I couldn't play and there was a lot of nervousness around that. I was driving to pick up my brother and cousin and I was at the point where I was driving along it was a rainy day. It's the UK. <laughs> um, and... I could hardly see the road um, and all of a sudden it just hit me that like there's no way in two days time that I can go out and you know tackle 120 kilo blokes and mm -hmm. you know put my head in position so I pulled over the side of the road and I I rang my physio at the time burst into tears uh, we were really close because he'd been along the journey with me he was a, a great fella and he said I said to him I can't do it and he said I know what you're talking about I know that you're you know, there's symptoms there, you know, and my housemate at the time had noticed that I was going out in the middle of the night and he'd ring me and say, mate, what's going on? I was like, oh, I'm just going for a walk. But I was just trying to clear my head and try to come to grips with the fact that I knew that my career might have been over. Um, and yeah, I pulled over. I spoke to my parents. Yeah, I, I rang, the, got, rang the coach and said, look, man, I just can't do it. I can't play this weekend. I just, I know that there's something not right. I know that the testing's saying that I'm right but I'm going to have to go out and seek another specialist. And uh, yeah, basically found another specialist. He, they 
sort of did this testing on me with this sort of pivot shift test with my head and they could see the lag and the problems that were happening. And again, it was an emotional time. I burst into tears. But the reason that I burst into tears that time was actually in joy, which sounds funny, but it was the first time throughout that whole time that someone had told me that something was actually wrong because the testing kept telling me that I was right to play. And for them to say that they could see what was wrong and there was going to be a plan in place for me to try and get better was so relieving. Um, and so, yeah, I had a six-month period over there where I tried to rehab. Um, I did that. I definitely got better at the rehab. I was still on really heavy pain medication. Um, every day I couldn't uh, put me to sleep. I was very drowsy all the time. But I got to the end of that six months and I knew I'd improved somewhat, but it definitely wasn't the point of going out and <laughs> tackling, you know, rugby league players. Uh, mm. So I made the decision off the back of their advice. They, they'd asked me, they said that we strongly recommend that you retire. Again, I said, no. I went back again. They said, look, you know, if you're in the NFL, we could retire. You actually, we actually can't make the decision for you. You have to make the decision based on our advice. Uh, and then from there, yeah, that's basically where I went. And I came back to Australia and, I made the transition from a from an athlete to coach pretty quickly because I wanted to start to build that new identity because that's all I'd known as being an athlete. Mm. Uh, I'd been working in all the clubs I'd been in prior to to upskill in how to be a coach. Luckily, um, because I had that to fall back on, and I loved that side of it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it landed. That, mm. but yeah, I definitely don't have any regrets in that sense. You know, the things I got to do and um, things that I achieve potentially could I have gone on and done more maybe, but I didn't. And now I'm getting to do help push other people and, and see them achieve what, what they want to achieve in their careers. So um, I definitely don't have regret or, you mm. know, don't begrudge and say things like I could have done this. I could have done that. So, mm. which is, which is sort of, I've come to terms with that. So, which is good. Hi everyone. We just wanted to take a break from this episode. We hope you are enjoying this episode so far and also all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC newsletter today. We provide you free exclusive content each and every single week to our subscribers. Link in the bio. Remember to like, subscribe and share Elite Rugby SNC on social media to all your friends and families. So thanks again for your support and now back to the episode. So do you have any advice for contact sport athletes who might be in a similar boat of getting multiple concussions in a season and just sort of struggling a bit? Yeah. I think that the tough one is, is that you can't let an individual story or someone else's story determine how your journey will be. Everyone's is going to be very, very different and how concussions are, you know, there's so many factors that go into it uh, and they have to be treated that way. The biggest thing I would say is not using time as a measure to determine when you're going to be back playing and, and as coaches and as other teammates of that person, you know, any pressure around that is really tough because when we put a time-based, you know, rehab it is really hard with concussions. Probably, you know, we always try to use, and that's sort of moving that way that we're using criteria-based rehab to do anything we do, but particularly with concussion, I think that's important. Uh, I think that the testing's at a point now where it's improving. Like every day it's improving. Sports are more aware of it, particularly contact sports are 
you know, they're upping their protocols. They're bringing independent doctors. They could bring in specialists and the best advice, but it's the best advice that we have right now. And anytime we can be a little bit more conservative and it relies on a lot of subjective nature in terms of the testing. And it relies on the athlete to be really honest with how they're feeling. And I just urge anyone to, to make sure that you are as honest as you can be. Uh, and sometimes you, you do lose that awareness in that time. It is actually hard to know what it felt like prior to your concussion. You know, what, what does, what does no symptoms feel like? Like, mm. you know, obviously fatigue and stuff makes you feel a little bit cloudy in your day and stuff as well. So um, as much as you can communicate that and really try and, I guess, take that really gradual step approach to getting back. Um, I think that's, that's important because the one or two extra weeks that maybe you take out of the game in the long run, it means that you'll get to have a longer lasting career, you know, whereas potentially you come back two weeks early or one week early and that offsets you for a, a greater period of time. Um, it may seem like the worst thing in the world. And, and, and the tough part is, is when you have particular events or games that are super important, like if it's a finals game, all of a sudden people say, oh, well, he's got to play the grand final. He's got to play the semifinal. Mm. But that doesn't, your brain doesn't remember that, you know, like mm. it's just going off how it's feeling at the time. And so trying to take away the external pressures that come with it, I think is really important. And, I, and that was, that was big for me. I, I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to, you know, sign a new contract. I wanted to do what was right for my team. And I pushed through some of the stuff that maybe I, I shouldn't have. Um, but I guess in the, you know, hindsight tells you that maybe I, I'm a little bit more, transparent or honest with where i'm at um and maybe i get a little bit longer out of out of my career uh, but that's a learning and i can take that on with you know push that on to other people so mm. yeah. no, that's some great advice there and yeah just like you said be honest and make sure that you have a good really good relationship with your medical team and and snc coach and head coach as well and just be honest and and open to about talking yeah i'm, I'm not feeling okay and i'm still struggling this bit i i don't think i can play that game and it sort of comes back to that that culture and environment around having concussion. And the teams that I've been a part of um, have been really open about it and be like, if you're not right, you've got to tell us because we don't want to put you in a position where it puts you in harm's way because this head not might have not been so bad, but the next one could be a lot um, worse and detrimental. So, yeah, you just got to really make sure you have a really good environment and can talk to your players and players can put their hand up and come talk to you as well and be really open and honest about that and not just focus on winning the game. It's about your players. It's about treating people as people. It's not just about getting the wins on the weekend. It's, yeah. Wins are important, but you really got to treat people like people. Yeah, definitely. And like the, the second last one that I had was definitely the worst I've probably ever had. It was off a kickoff, you know, front row, a beeline that I, towards me i copped an elbow you know i did the whole tried to stand up ran away hit the ground again you know that was a really tough one i recovered quite quick within two weeks you know i passed all the testing i got back and i hadn't i actually didn't have any symptoms and on the day of the game i went for a haircut and i'm just getting a fresh fade and i basically had a headache while i was getting a cut and i was thinking now that I've had a week and a half of no symptoms, that can't be related to what happened two weeks ago. This just must be a normal headache. Um, 
hindsight tells me no, because I played the game and the first knock that I got, it was kind of like being, it was sort of like being glass. Like, it's just like your head becomes a little bit more that you don't have the same tolerance to the knocks that you had before. And that's kind of what happened. I got a really light knock and straight away I was gone. And that's when I guess the, the worry from everyone else kind of came in. Um, and I think just always being super cautious and maybe, you know, making that known to medical staff may have helped me in, in that, that moment. But, um, you know, that's, that's the way mm. the cookie crumb was. So, mm. No, yeah. some, some great insight and great advice there. So I appreciate that. As a player, did you understand how important SNC was to your performance or was it something that you learned over your, your career? Uh, I think, I think particularly in potentially in rugby league, it's there's obviously like a culture around, particularly as a younger athlete, trying to build that body armor to be able to deal with you know contact and things. So I guess it was a really big part from a young age, and I learned that pretty young with signing with when I first signed with the Raiders, and they were giving out programs and things like that. In terms of how much impact it could have, that's probably off the back of the SNC coaches that I had from program to program, and how. I was pretty lucky. They were really good ones. And they're ones that I still keep in contact with today and, and people that I would turn to as mentors. Um, you know, particularly when I was at Canberra, Jeremy Robinson was the, the SNC at the time. And the, the things that he taught me, because I had a, an interest in, you know, SNC as well. And, you know, I was sort of doing my internship as well at the time with them in SNC. The things that I learned off him and how that, can have an impact on performance and, and be a value add. And obviously SNC is only one piece of the puzzle around athlete performance and the sport itself and sport training is most important, but how you can value add to that. Uh, that's probably the part that I slowly learned more and more, you know, getting away from trying to mimic particular movements and how to actually just build the capacities that help that athlete go, you know, be better on the field, on the court, on the track, you know, on the ice, whatever the sport is, you know, um, the more I learn about that is, is probably the, the part that kind of came more and more as I went through and the different ways that you can bring about the adaptation that you're after, you know, even, even me going into a system where conditioning was done totally different, you know, there was a lot more off-feet conditioning as opposed to running volume. We still had running volume, but just opened my eyes up to how, there, there's so many ways to skin a cat basically you know and um trying to get that to meet the needs of the athlete and, and their their sport um is really cool and that's what excites me every day is trying to develop and learn about how you know we can be better um with the programs that we're we're working with so um yeah i think i think that's something that i guess evolved for me mm, i think that's awesome you took that interest as a player and some of my favorite athletes are the ones who really take an interest in how this type of training can enhance their performance. And they take the ownership on themselves to develop themselves, to become I know, coaches, e even if they don't get the qualifications and all that, they're still building themselves up so that if they go to a new team learning, they could really do some good coaching. Or if, if I'm yeah. over on the, on the other side of the room and they see something wrong, I tell them, go, 
go help your teammate because we play a team sport and I can't see everything, especially if it's just me in the room. So go out there and help your teammates and learn and, and make sure you listen to what I'm saying. So then you can apply it to another teammate and apply it to yourself. So I think that's really cool when athletes do take a genuine interest in strength conditioning, because it is such a big part of sport. And if you can yeah, do that, it's just going to benefit you and, and benefit the team as well. Yeah. Uh, I think it, as a, as a coach, particularly it depends on the, the coach to athlete sort of ratio you're spot on like being able to bring in almost gym leaders you know some people who have been around particularly your coaching and your understanding obviously there's a point where you have to come in and and have your influence with an athlete um, but if you're able to instill i guess a confidence and a level of education and understanding of your principles in your athletes and they're able to share that amongst themselves um, the independent athlete is a dangerous athlete, you know, like if you can, you can program for yourself, you know, and, and understand all those reasons for yourself. That's, that's a, that's a really exciting thing to have. And I think that's even as working in the development space, that's part of our goal is like, can we develop athletes that potentially could write their own programs if they're between systems, you know, could they, you know, understand load, could they understand these things to the point that, would get them from point A to point B. Um, obviously, you you want to they're going to draw on your expertise in particular areas, but um, to have that really base understanding um, to get them through and how to manage their own body is is so key, regardless mm. of what level you're at, uh, mm. because you're not always going to be spoon fed the programs, be given the recovery protocols, you know, have that advice, and and it's great to see athletes come back to me who have left my program and, and ask for advice or scaffold the programs or, or you know would you consider doing this but for that for them to sort of come to me with a plan first and me help develop that with them um i guess that's a, a bit of a mark of i think of my coaching if i've instilled some of those values in them um they can carry that forward mm, i love that it's awesome so you've been an SNC coach for many years now. What is your current coaching philosophy, and has this philosophy philosophy sort of changed over the years? Yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, I remember there's probably a few coaches that have said something similar, but the the simpler the better. Like getting savagely good at the basics and doing those really really well um, is super important. I I think that there's this expectation that when you get to elite sport, you know, and I, I work with some camps based stuff here at the AIS and, um, you know, get some exposure to some of that and, and the insights to that, which is really cool and get to influence some of those programs. But there's this understanding, well, there's this belief that you have to do these whiz bang programs and, you know, everything has to look a certain way because they're an elite athlete is, is a, a long way off the mark just having a really good, strong foundational base underneath you um, and being a, res a resilient athlete that's being able to be on the field, on the court or whatever all the time or, you know, as much of the time as you can. That's the important part, I think, you know, like, and also knowing that when I guess you, you put together a program and this is the part that's always still evolving is like you can write out a pretty 12-month program, but if that doesn't fit in with, what the sport coach is doing, you know, what other service providers within the performance team, you know, have, if, if it's not one integrated team or one approach or one program, ultimately, then 
you're kind of just working in these individual silos and the athlete isn't at the center of that. It's our own prejudice on what we think will work for the athlete. Um, so the way that you bring in a team um, and draw on the experiences and I guess the expertise of other people within the team, whoever is the team, whether that team is small and you just have potentially an SNC and a coach, like draw on the other person. If you have a wider team that you can draw on, you know, performance psychs or dietitians or whoever you have access to, bring in their skill set. Like they're there for a reason and make sure that like your programming or the way that you coach reflects everyone's values, not just your own preconceived ideas on how you think you're going to get athlete from point A to point B to be, you know, the best they can be. So um, how, how you use a team is, is probably the biggest part that's grown for me. And I guess, I think what I probably did on my early times during, as a coach, when at whatever program, even when I was at Canberra and, and Penrith, like I worked with the junior reps programs and stuff, just trying to be a value add. Like when you come into a program, not trying to overhaul and change it all to how you want to do things, sit back and take the time to just see what stuff is already in there and then just like sprinkle in what what's needed. Where can you value add? Um, if you try to overhaul the whole program and change everything, um, you lose some of the DNA that's already, that's good in there. And I think that comes back to the point around, tell me what your, like your strengths are, you know, and we'll just build on those, you know? So um, yeah, I think that's kind of where my philosophy is at now in two weeks time. Honestly, it could be, you know, it could be different again. I, I, I know that everyone always says it, but literally my philosophy and, and the experience I have, by the other coaches that I'm lucky enough to work with, like day in, day out, and I listen to, genuinely shapes how my philosophy is at that time and the athletes I work with. So I think it's that's a really big part is like who you surround yourself with. Uh, I think early on, it's good to go out and coach a program on your own and, and learn and make mistakes. But the doing that alongside also shadowing coaching and, and learning from others, I think is so key. And, and basically for me, I just kind of grab the best parts of all of the coaches that I'm shadowing or seeing or the programs I'm working with to try and build up myself as a coach, but also the program that I'm working with at the time or the wow. athlete I'm working with at the time. Wow, that's awesome. Keep it simple, focus on those basics. And from a coaching standpoint, always keep the athlete in mind first. It's not just about what you want to do. It's about what you want. Uh, it's about the athlete and how you can enhance their performance as well. I love that. Mm, no, I think it's keeping them at, at front of mind all the time is, mm. is, is really key. Um, so no, it's cool. Cool. I think the thing that surprises me the most when an athlete comes and does one of my programs or, or one of Ben's programs is sort of how simple it is. And we're just focusing on these movement parts, but we're doing some jumping, some landing on squatting and benching and all that stuff, but they're doing it in more I don't know, structured manner, manner and they're just surprised how well it works. And that's mm. not probably not what they expected. And you see those, um, other coaches or trainers out on Instagram and they're doing all this fancy stuff and it's just probably doesn't work. And they, they do try it, but they just like, Oh, I didn't really I don't get the full benefit, but when they come do those basic stuff, um, they get the maximum benefit from it. And I love seeing that, um, that when they come to a program, it's nothing flashy or anything. It's just training really well 
moving with intent, moving fast and, and lifting some reasonable weight um, is probably the best way to go. And the, the amount of times I see the All Blacks training on the, um, on the YouTube with those um, videos that they have, it's just the basics and they, they are the yeah. best at what they do. It's just the basics. So if you're listening, just, just get the basics down packed, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think like the mark of you as a coach, I think is also when that athlete moves on to another program or, or, you know, maybe goes and works with another trainer or another S&C, like what are, are they able to do the fundamentals really, really well? And despite for me, you know, I have an athlete here at the moment. And even when I was working with volleyball and tennis, tennis potentially a little bit longer, but volleyball, you know, maybe I'm going to have that athlete for two years and again, I might have these ideas of how we can build them up, but I also have to be considerate of like, what programs are they going to go in beyond here? Like, do I have an understanding of their program? And maybe I, even if I don't have the same beliefs or philosophies, I wouldn't program the same as potentially another s that they're going to go into. If I don't prepare that athlete for that program as well, like, and the things that they're going to be faced with in that program, then I'm also don't think that I'm doing my job to the best that I can as well. You know, are they expected to do some Olympic lifts in their next program? If so, am I upskilling the athlete in being able to understand the fundamentals of that, you know, to get to that next stage, you know? So um, again, it's kind of comes down to putting away, it goes back to athlete focus, taking away your own prejudice on what you think. And is, am I setting that athlete up for success beyond the program that they're in right now or the time that I'm spending with that athlete right now. Um, mm. I think in, and the athlete themselves can always think that they have to be this, the re, the finished product that they're at a certain point in time, but long term, like long-term athletic development, you know, it's more than that. It's not the one or two years that you then get to this certain time or, or position or look that you perceive to be an athlete. It's what goes on all the way through. And, you know, however long that career span is, depending on the sport and the athlete. So, mm, yeah. no, 100%. So, what advice do you have for SNC coaches out there in the field? Is there anything that sort of stands out that all SNC coaches need to know? Uh, I think that, to be honest, like in terms, you could go back to like understanding the, the basic principles of training and, and all of those things. But I think the, the best piece of advice I have is understand your athletes like understand what makes them tick under like you can't put together any sort of program or any sort of you know periodized plan if you don't know the athletes and you don't know where they've come from and where you're taking them um that'd probably be the biggest piece for me is like i love when i come into with an athlete that they've already got a program you know that they're working on because i just get to see them do what they do and then I'll get to see how I'm going to shape them going forward. Um, I think that's, I think that's really key is like what's understanding, you know, there's, there's our athletes that don't like doing gym and that's okay. Like that's, you're not going to have the same individual who's, you know, some people love it. Some people get in there, they thrive in that environment and it doesn't matter how much you create this great environment and, and explain the importance of SNC they're not going to be driven in a way that they really want to come in and, you know, bouncing off the walls to do your session. But if you can start to get to understand what makes them tick and how to show the relevance of what you're doing um, in the gym, on the court, um, 
to what they do, you know, in, I guess, their own setting and within their sport, then that's the part that, that will help with that buy-in. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's really important. Really mm. important. Under, understand the athlete first. Yeah. Uh, apologies. A phone call was coming through and I was no, no, no. a bit off there. That's nah, all, all good, good, mate. No, it's great. Some great advice. Understand your athlete and, and also get to know them as well because it's just a great great time to get to know your athletes and, and know what makes them tick and you can understand their story, which then can help um, better the program as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really key. And 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 knowing that like no two athletes are the same, you know, like I have certain athletes that, you know, if there's a particular exercise that, you know, doesn't fit with their injury history or their makeup, you know, it's okay that I might not be able to back squat that particular person. As much as I'd like to be able to get them, you know, through full range and get them to a particular benchmark that we perceive that will help them within their career. You know, if I set out for within their sport that they have to do, you know, one and a half times body weight or whatever it is, if I don't, if that exercise isn't right for them, then don't do it because Mm. them, no one's going to look back on their career and go, Oh, you know, they back squatted this amount. They're going to look at how they performed on the, in Mm. their sport, you know? So just get, get that adaptation. And I think, something that I've probably as part of my evolved is like working on two different streams at a time. Like, can I look at the technical part and develop the technical skills or the areas that maybe are limitations within their movement? And can I also work on the adaptation alongside that? Do I choose an exercise that's more shoot and kill where it's a little bit simpler in process and they can build the adaptation, but alongside that I'm working on the areas that maybe are limiting their back squat. You know, do I take them off and put them on something that's a little bit more simple, machine-based, you know, leg press? I don't know what it is, but it, mm. every time it's going to be different. But, um, yeah, that's for me, that's part of that long-term athlete development journey is I can't just always throw that out and say, oh, that person can't back squat or that person can't do that. I'll try and work on maybe some of the limitations they're having, but I then also still have to work on the strength or whatever that underpins them to be good at their sport. Mm. so that's some great advice there i love it so what uh current tv show you're watching at the moment mate is there anything that sort of uh stands out oh goodness so i'm a like it takes me a little bit to get into tv shows and but i'm a bit of a different one like i love any like sitcoms like anything like friends and stuff like that and i would just like rerun i'll just watch the same thing over and over and i think it's like my way of like winding down because i i enjoy it it's a bit of a laugh you know, um, the office, things like that. Um, so I've sort of just cycled between those. Um, but yeah, in the past, I've always liked things like Breaking Bad, but then, you know, you've got like Entourage and Ballers and stuff like that. Like, I just love getting into to those, but even still, I, I love to go back and watch them, but I'm a little bit picky with my TV show. Okay. I just do reruns. Yeah. Man, but... That's fair enough. I, I definitely do that as well. I've probably watched the office again this year, probably for like the 20th <laughs> time. And I yeah. know you, you just, you just watch it and you just make yourself laugh at the, the funny stuff that um you, you remember and the, the stuff that you forget, you're like, you forgot they said that type of joke and you just get, just, yeah. just crack no, up and uh, that's it's really good, good stuff. It's funny. So it's funny. last few questions, going to move on to my favorite segment, Triple H. Um, shout out okay. to the WWE wrestler out there. So just okay. three questions, getting to know you better as a person and a coach. And the first one is a hardship. So can you think of a hardship in your rugby career or coaching career that sort of stands out and 
how did you get through this hardship and, and what did you learn as well? Yeah, I, I'll probably have, I'll probably touch a fair bit on the, on the personal stuff in terms of my own sort of playing career. I'll probably allude now to like a little bit more of a coaching example. Probably the hardship for me was when seeing an athlete get injured um, and that's, that's happened, it happens all the time. But I guess coming to the, I guess, acceptance that, you know, obviously you may have played a part in, in that injury um, and you probably, there's things that you do differently and you learn lessons. Um, the hardship of trying to be okay with that, that that athlete, you know, there are a number of factors that go into an injury. Um, and so for me, coming to that realization that I'm always doing the best I can for the athlete and sometimes things won't always go right. Um, and so I guess having that little bit of um, self-acceptance or, or, you know, like not being so hard on yourself that you were, you were part of the problem. I, I guess I take athlete injuries pretty hard because I, I want to make sure that, you know, trying to get people, you know, into their sport. And I, cause I know the background of how tough it can be to be injured and how that, you know, it's, it's tough to be disconnected from the group and stuff like that. So I guess my biggest learning is how do I keep them involved in the group and how do I be kind to myself and also the, the other athlete around, you know, this is a journey and, and how do we, how can we use potentially rehab as an opportunity to actually get better? Like where can we use this as a time to potentially work on things that maybe get in the I guess sport gets in the way sometimes that we can't work on particular qualities that might actually maximize your performance when you get back um, to full training or, or full competition. So, yeah, mm. that'd be my, my hardship is, is learning as a coach just to be uh, a little bit kind to yourself. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely a challenging one. And one of the boys um, probably like 10 weeks ago had a really bad ankle injury and, and there was nothing I could do it was just a bad accident but I felt gutted that day just to see like there was so much so much potential in him and to have that setback and he's he's only 17 he's got a massive career ahead of him and, he, and he's going to be a future superstar but it was just I don't know it's it, it really sucked it was just a shit day just to see him get hurt and playing such good rugby and he could have potentially mm. got selected for under 18s Australia as well and yeah, it's just it's just hard, and just like you said, you sort of just just got to accept that it has happened, and then just see it as an opportunity to help that player, especially in, in a very dark time as well, because injuries mm. suck, and you get all these thoughts, and you just feel like shit, and nothing's going right. So it's a great time to reach out for the athlete, really help them, and then make them see that okay, this is just a little setback for a big comeback, you know, and 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 get mm. them better, and and um get them back playing the sport that they do love. Yeah, I think it's it's always an opportunity. Like this, it's, rehab is a definitely an opportunity to like build the athlete better than they were before they were injured. Yeah, mm. not just to rehab that injury, but how can you add other qualities or other elements to what they do? Mm. Um, so yeah, so next H hero, who is your hero, and why is this person your hero? Uh, from a playing point of view, I would say that Benji Marshall was always my hero. Uh, I was lucky enough in 05, 04, around the time when they won the comp. I think at the start of 05, I got the opportunity to run the tee for the Tigers at Leichhardt, to a packed Leichhardt Stadium, to Benji. And that, as a kid, that was like the bee's knees. Like, I was so pumped. Uh, I actually left the tee out on the field and 
Michael Ennis, you know, I was playing for dogs at the time, kicked the tee away. So I had to run back out about three <laughs> times because he was just being a pest. Um, but yeah, just the way Benji played, like his flair and his feet. And I, I probably tried to mimic that <laughs> for a long time. Like a lot of um, young aspiring probably league and union, you know, like there's the ability to change direction and whatnot. I guess in terms of um, other people who I would say are my heroes, I guess, I think like my parents, you know, both of them and, and um, the people that were surrounded me from a young age and what they instilled in me in terms of hard work and how to get where I am today um, yeah, has been pivotal. Um, and so I probably probably don't give them enough credit, you know, out loud. But yeah, the the respect I have for for them and how they've supported me is is huge. So uh, I can't let them go away in that sense because they're the people that are actually, you know, connected to you, you know, day to day. You know, the, the heroes that you have outside of that are, are more, I guess, a dream of where you want to be rather than people that, I guess, have a direct influence on, on how you are as a person. Um, so, mm. yeah. That's awesome. Shout out to Benji and shout out to mum and dad as well. That's yeah, great. I love it. <laughs> So the last H highlight, what is a highlight that sort of stands out in your rugby career or coaching career? Yeah. Uh, highlight for me, I'll probably give two really quick ones. First one would be the first time that I like signed with like the Raiders, the, the starting of my like, journey that I could have been turned into a, a reality. And, and then when I signed with Penrith and knew that I was now going from a development player potentially to be a, an NRL player. That was, that was amazing considering the hardships as a, as a coach, uh, I had an athlete who with volleyball came in and he basically had um, some patella tendon issues, which a lot of uh, volleyballers do have at, at, at different times. The, um, doctor at the time that QAS basically had said that he couldn't jump for 18 months on a particular surface because they're on um, hard court and then on the beach as well. And they said that, look, he, he can't do certain jumping and it was going to be 18 months before he could jump completely on both surfaces. We sort of got a performance support team around him and came up with a bit of a plan. Not only did he, he struggled to walk without pain, we got him to the point where not only was he like, one of the, I guess, the strongest he'd ever been. He was one of the strongest in the whole network for his, I guess, um, within the sport. And then he went on uh, in the last couple of months, he actually debuted for the national team. So within 18 months, he went from, instead of not jumping, he went from being super strong, getting his body right, doing all the little things to now representing his country. Like that's the stuff that drives you to be a coach is, is seeing you know that rise and fall of of an athlete um and and the appreciation um he had for me as as a coach and where i was able to take him and particularly as an athlete like you kind of you see don't always see the light at the tunnel end of the tunnel and like we had this vision for him and in particular i had this vision for him along with you know his direct coach that we could get into this point where he would be able to you know play day in day out and train um and to see him go on that journey um was awesome obviously he made mistakes and you know he questioned the process at different times and you know looked for alternatives outside of what we were giving him you know different programs is, is someone else doing something better and getting him to learn to trust the process um yeah that's 
that's what inspires, I guess, me to do what I do each day is, yeah, take take people on that journey. So, yeah, wow, that's, that's probably that's makes awesome. me pretty proud. That's awesome, mate. So that's all my questions for today. Um, where can listeners find you on social media? Yeah, my, my social media has been a little bit uh, messed around. I, I've lost my password to my personal Instagram, which is AFNNY. Uh, you can still check it out. I just can't post. I can't do anything. Um, connected to that, I have a platform athletic performance uh, Instagram. So they're sort of connected. Um, I'm not a big social media user, but I do like to, you know, see what everyone's doing and, and what's kind of keep up with the, you know, what other coaches are doing and, and people are doing within their lives. It's a great network to, to use. So, um, yeah, more than welcome to, to cop a follow um, and I'll do the same back. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Awesome. So thanks for that. So thanks for joining me today. It's been awesome to get to know you better from your rugby career and also coaching career and, and give some great insight on, on on injuries and how to be sort of more resilient and and come back from those injuries, but also great advice on on, on concussion and being really open and honest. And we, we really appreciate that. And hopefully our listeners get something out from that. So thanks for joining me again today. It's been awesome. Yeah, my yeah, my pleasure. As I said, yeah, thanks for having me on. And I think the stuff that you and Ben are doing in terms of like the programming you're doing and, and the, I guess the education that you guys are providing, like we just need more of that, you know, particularly, you know, regardless of what level, you know, at the amateur level, that semi-pro level and all the way through um, just that sharing of good quality information and support is, is so key. Um, and I think if you go out and, and you seek the right people within um, I guess that space, um, I think it re- definitely can, add to the career that you're having so um yeah well done to you guys yeah, awesome. thanks for that awesome. appreciate it all right enjoy the day and enjoy that uh, haircut that you're going to get now. yeah no got to get there awesome <laughs> see you mate thanks for tuning into another episode of elite rugby snc podcast remember to like subscribe and rate elite rugby snc on spotify and youtube and make sure you follow us on instagram sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via instagram page also, remember to sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content each and every single week. So don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SC today and take your game to the next level. Thanks for listening.